Welcome to At the Threshold, a podcast for ministry leaders during this new, unsettled season in the life of the church. We are your hosts, Ashley Alley Crawford and Shelley Pitts. And we are both clergy in the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of approximately a thousand churches in the states of Kansas and Nebraska. Shelley works with clergy faith and wellness with the Great Plains Conference. And Ashley is the Clergy Recruitment and Development Coordinator, and we're sharing this from the Office of Clergy Excellence. Our focus here in At the Threshold is to host a conversation with and for clergy in order to describe what's happening, ask questions to help get us unstuck, and encourage the heart of pastors and leaders in this liminal time in which we find ourselves. Liminal may be a new word, but a new season calls for a new word. Liminal means a threshold from what we've always known to, well, we don't know just yet what life and ministry is becoming. Our goal here is to find a little light at the threshold. In our conversations, we are seeking to describe some of the dynamics that we're seeing and identify some questions and possibilities that are bubbling up for us. Ultimately, we hope you leave today with your heart encouraged in some way. Each time we gather, it's our hope that you'll glean one or two things to think about, act upon, or pray through. Well, today we're going to be talking about something that may be challenging, our personal health. Talking about our personal health is just that. It's personal. And it often requires vulnerability and courage and even invites us to listen to our bodies, something that sometimes for some of us is hard to do. Our bodies are the vehicle that God's given us to move about in the world and even, you know, called the temple of the Holy Spirit in scripture. But sometimes it's really hard for us to make peace with those bodies. And since our bodies and our minds and our souls are all connected, we grow in health as one. And we have to move towards health in all of those parts. Caring for our physical bodies, it really is an act of discipleship. Today's conversation is going to be an opportunity to share stories with several pastors who are learning to come to peace with their bodies most days, probably anyway. We hope that it'll give you permission to consider your own body and really your own holistic health as we approach winter. Winter is really hard for many of us in one way or another. In fact, um, winter in the midst of a pandemic is even harder. It feels really daunting to me. Uh, It kind of makes me want to enter into that hibernation thing. We hope that our conversation today will invite you to consider ways that you can prepare, that you can hibernate in healthy ways, um, prepare uh, for, for the long winter that is ahead of us. Well, we will be transparent. We know that that pastors are carrying a very heavy load right now, and we really want you to know, pastors, that we see you and we know that you are overburdened. I think it's safe to say that all of us here today and probably everyone listening has drowned our pandemic woes in binges of TV or carbs or maybe TV and carbs at the same time. I know that I have had my share of those days and those moments. And while we know that that certainly feels good in the moment, we all know that we can't hibernate like our grizzly bear friends do. Prolonged hibernation for us looks like burnout. 
And it's a threat for everyone who's within earshot of our conversation today. So we hope our conversation reminds us that we're all in this together as we consider what holistic health looks like. We have invited three pastors to join us to share about health. We anticipate we'll hear some things about their struggle, discipleship, spirituality, leadership, and growth. We are so grateful for their willingness to be vulnerable with us. Sometimes talking about our health is so difficult, even between friends and colleagues. We are so grateful that they have agreed to share with us about their own discipleship journey, their struggles, and their successes. We begin with our deepest appreciation and thank you to each of you. First, we want to visit with Reverend Cindy Watson. Cindy is the senior pastor at First United Methodist Church in Wichita, Kansas. She actually spent most of her formative years in Wichita. She received a call to ministry as a teenager and served churches that nurtured her to become the pastor who she is today. She served in many ways across the United Methodist Connection, including on the General Commission on Christian Unity and Interreligious Concerns. Locally, she's served on the board of directors of Interfaith Ministries, among other ways of serving her community. She and her husband, Andrew Stover, enjoyed their blended family of eight grown children and 13 grandchildren, as well as bicycling, traveling, reading, gourmet food, entertaining, and the arts in Wichita. Cindy, we are so glad that you could join us. You're welcome. We talked about who we wanted to invite today. We both thought of you. Over the years, we have known you to model daily, steady attention to, to physical health. We also recognize that you have had a recent injury that has affected your daily intentionality of this exercise. We'd like to ask you what has been your experience both with your daily physical discipline and what you are learning during this time of interruption. Well, I wanna go back to a little ancient history. When I was at Plainville uh, from 90 to 94 was the first time I got confronted on not being healthy. And it, I was diagnosed with hypoglycemia. I mean, literally I would be somewhere and I would fall asleep in my food. It was really kind, kind of embarrassing. Didn't So all of a sudden I had to eat by prescription, which was really hard for me. I was in the, uh, gone through a divorce, living on coffee and Coca-Cola. Uh, so basically sugar and caffeine. And uh, uh, so all of a sudden I had to literally eat not just three meals, but then those snacks of protein. And, and that was really, really hard for me because I just at times didn't want to eat. But if I didn't, then... Uh, the emotional health, the um, the struggle with my, you know, I'd get snippy and my children would say, mommy, do you need to eat something? No, I just want you to clean your rooms and just, you know, but um, so that, that started it. And then uh, in terms of the real physical, I bicycled then because it felt good. It got me on my bike. It got me out and about. And uh, there's some beautiful places out there. Uh, uh, from, you know, Plainville, some of you will know this, to Zurich, to Damar, or up to Stockton, or even down to Hayes, between Hayes and, and, and Plainville are some significant hills uh, to ride your bike on. But then when I was at Lyons 14 years ago, I stood up and I'd been having a little back issues. 
and literally then was bedridden for six weeks. I could not walk, could not sit, could not stand. They put me on Percocet and uh, uh, a generic form of Valium, which was basically a muscle relaxant, and uh, went in for back surgery. What happened is I had a disc that just exploded. It just and, you know, um, the interesting thing about surgery is that, you know, you go in and you're asleep and you wake up, but it was a six hour surgery, which is highly unusual for back surgery. And they had opening me up both back and front because they pull pieces of that disc material off of nerve centers. And um, the only cure for getting back into any kind of shape was to walk. And they said, you need to walk. Now, prior to that, I've been working on a triathlon. I am no athlete. I just need you all to know that I'm not an athlete. I uh, walk, I bicycle. I'm a terrible swimmer. And I had done the Salty Dog triathlon the year before, took last place, 15 minutes behind the second to last place person. I just want to note that it's not breaking any records. But, you know, it was something that Andrew and I did together. So, you know, they really encouraged me to get out and walk. So I also, in that spring of 2006, got a call from the cabinet that they wanted me to move to West Heights. So six, literally just um, six days or seven days after I'd been in surgery for 10, for six hours, I was sitting at West Heights for an introductory. It was Nuts. You know, I'm on Percocet Valium. I'm telling you, I'm on (laughs) major uh, drugs, which were fine. I mean, I weaned off of them. I did not have issues with that once we were past that. But so when I got to West Heights, what did I do? I walked. They have a gym 15 times around the gym was a mile. And so I would walk, try to do that once in the morning, once in the afternoon, plus other kinds of walks. There was a lot of reasons for that. Moving as the first senior pastor uh, female senior pastor, I and um, Pat Alt-Duel were the first women to be appointed that way. Um, a lot of stress. They'd never actually had a woman on staff before that was an elder. Uh, so not only did, it, did they not have had an associate, but they also had not had a senior pastor. Um, and so I'm trying to figure out how to survive without, you know, just exploding. And so walking for me has been... Um, my spiritual well-being, my physical well-being, and my mental well-being. And frankly, walking keeps me my back out of pain. If I don't walk, I hurt. It's just that simple. So uh, so for me, I, I like to tell that story because it isn't because I'm actually that disciplined or actually that I like it that much. It is literally something that is a coping mechanism for me. And so, as some of you may know, uh, a week ago, Sunday, uh, if you are familiar, First United Methodist Church, you know it's covered in white marble. And like many before me, I missed a step. And uh, fortunately, long before worship, nobody knew about it. It wasn't until I got home and pulled the boot off and went, mm, yeah, maybe I've, because I'd sprained that ankle before. Well, I actually broke it. Fortunately, no surgery, no, but they want me off at two weeks and then, of course, six weeks in the walking cast. And I preached last Sunday with my foot up and and I could tell the doctor just looked at me and said, here's the deal. You're going to know when you overdo because you're going to hurt. I don't need to tell you anything. <laughs> so and she was right. So it's been hard. 
because um, I'm doing what yoga I can on a, on a chair. And then the ones on the floor that don't require me to use my feet. But walking really is in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of my life, my stress reduction. I mean, Andrew and I walk, we were up to walking four to six miles most days. And um, so I just think it's really, really hard when I'm used to being very active. I'm up here in my second floor library. And uh, so we've created this space up here and Andrew's going up and down the stairs. Um, and I'm trying not to for another few days till I get past my two weeks. But it's hard for me not to be active. It's just, um, it's just hard. And so I'm trying to deal with that through what little yoga I can do to try to center and uh, just tell myself it's like a pandemic. I didn't expect to go for eight months. This is a season. It's probably not going to be eight months, but still it's, it's hard. So I, um, I think personally for me, if I'm going to be good at what I do, I have to balance out work with something else. And that's walking and cooking um, and time off. And uh, what I didn't say earlier is that I'm probably the worst example you can use in terms of clergy self-care because I'm terrible at it. But I do think it's important. And I do, for me, the walking is probably the, the thing that drives it. I still love riding my bike, but it's easier to just pull my shoes on and walk than get all the equipment out and the bike out and, and all that. So This is an incredible story. And you've already alluded to this a bit in your story, but can you help us go a little bit deeper in your understanding of maybe the relationship between physical health and clergy leadership? What does that look like for you? Well, I don't think we are a thing. I think we are a, a, a mind, body, and spirit. Um, and so when I'm, if I'm physically off or mentally off, or, you know, or even if you get like a sinus infection and it, it, it throws everything off in terms of, for me anyway, for my spirit and for my, my physical health and my mental health. Um, and I think when, for me, if I'm ignoring one part, then something else, it will begin to worm its way into something else. Um, when Andrew and I decide, you know, it's cold outside so, and we have a membership at the gym, which we've not gone since the pandemic. And we're probably not going to at this point, trying to stay healthy and uh, lower, you know, Wichita just hit 22.4% yesterday. Um, after a while, we both talk about how we're finding ourselves just not centered, not right, not. And I think physically. Uh, how we take care of ourselves. And that's not just walking, it's eating. Um, you know, I'm a carb person. I, I could live on potatoes. If you put me on a desert island and gave me one food, it would be potatoes. I mean, you know, I, but you know, when I overdo, I can tell it in my, in my spirit and in my mind and uh, in my emotions. And so um, I think each part of us, each part of me, um, interacts with the other. And when one part gets really off, then the other part does as well. And frankly, I see it in my preaching. 
I'm not nearly as creative. I'm not nearly any of those things when I'm, uh, um, I, I get off. I don't feel good about what I'm doing. I don't feel in touch with the spirit. And I think it shows in everything I do. Thank you, Cindy, for, for sharing your stories. And, you know, I think that it's important to remember that sometimes we don't even necessarily choose to be healthy, but it's a better equivalent or a better experience for us than living in pain. And so whatever it is that motivates us um, to get us out the door and moving, I think that's a really good, good, good word to us. Well, we want to um, welcome our second our second guest here, the Reverend Dr. Lisa Thompson, to join us today. Lisa is a an ordained elder here in the Great Plains Conference, and she may not be a familiar face because she is on family leave and has been on family leave, but she is very present here um, in in the life of um, of our our Great Plains Conference. When she was completing two different um, clinical pastoral education units in her seminary experience. She began to study the theology of the body, both personally as well as with the patients that she was seeing, and eventually um, pursued a doctorate of ministry from Southern Methodist University. Her doctoral project was called Educating Clergy on Health and Wholeness in Body, Mind, and Spirit. She served the local church, Belle Plaine, Kansas, UMC, before going on family leave, where she is currently finding ways to balance uh, engaging in ministry in her home church and aging parents <laughs> and a pilot husband whose very job is to travel and three amazing kids um, and multiple sclerosis, a disease that affects the central nervous system. So Lisa, we're so glad that you are able to join us here today. Thank you. Well, you've done a lot of work um, in, in, in research and in active life and in ministry and for personal reasons as well in the area of physical health and that it is a part of our discipleship journey. What have you learned uh, that could be helpful to us as we, as we think about this today? Um, you know, going through seminary, I feel like everyone kind of grabs onto a concept of theology that really speaks to them. And I kept waiting, was is it going to be liberation or feminist or like what kind of theology? And it wasn't until I um, experienced theology of the body that I was like, oh my gosh, I get it. This makes so much sense. I felt like I got the Bible all of a sudden. Um, so for me, going through this concept of um, reading the Bible, understanding the Bible and just holding it separate and apart from like who I am physically was not connecting. And so I stumbled upon this book in Cokesbury. Um, it's called Honoring the Body by Stephanie Paulsell. Still have my tabs from many, many moons of research. Um, and it just opened my eyes. I felt like it was so life-giving because it really spoke to um, the importance of incorporating the whole self. So feeling shame about the body, about the physical um, ailments or the physical uh, appearance was not helpful was one thing that I really started to notice that starting to see my body as a blessing was really important. Instead of listening to the, the narrative of the world that my body was something to be perfected was really significant to me. It was, it was a game changer. And how I understood God and related to God was that I've got this gift 
And then you don't just separate from that gift and go on and just, as Cindy's talking about, separate it out with, here's the spirit, here's the mind, and here's the body over here. To me, it was a very Trinitarian concept where you've got all three of them and together that's what wholeness is. And so wholeness isn't that you are devoid of illness. It's that you really are working with all of those things together for the best possible outcome for you. So for me with multiple sclerosis, I am, um, and I do apologize, I'm recovering from strep <laughs> as in this season of life. While um, I let my body get run down while my mom was undergoing serious health complications. And then this was the result. So paying attention to your body is really, really important. Um, <laughs> but allowing, um, allowing that concept of wholeness to, to really be a blessing and not, again, not something where you're perfecting spirituality, you're perfecting, it's not a, it's not a checklist of sorts that you can then fail. So that's what really, really important thing when it comes to health and wellness and wholeness is that you take the concept of failure out of it and you, you bring that, that, that theology of grace back in. And I think for us, for us as pastors, um, so many people have these expectations of your time, your space, your ability to meet all of their needs at a moment's notice that um, it starts to feel like a checklist. And so for your, for your whole wellness, taking that concept of checklist out of the equation, I think is really important. So I was diagnosed with MS while I was serving a two-point charge in Oklahoma and working on my doctoral project. And I just felt like my world was falling apart. I was so, I was pissed. <laughs> I was really, really mad. I was resentful. I was angry and I did not feel like it was fair. Now, I mean, I didn't go and blame God or anything like that, but I was not happy about it. Um, and I did this work where I had to um, stop resenting. And this is, this is constant work. Like I still have to do it. I'm, it's a constant conversation with myself that I still have. I wish I could do this. I want to do this. Yet chronic fatigue is keeping me from it or chronic pain is keeping me from it. Um, but I decided back in 2006 that I wasn't going to let MS be who I was. I was going to address it and I was going to challenge myself. So I decided to do a marathon. Now, I am not a runner <laughs> at all. And I walked it and, um, and the police car was not far behind me. I'm not gonna lie. And in fact, he might've passed me at some point. I'm not sure, but I did finish eventually, you know? So that was, that was good. That was the whole point just to like, this is not stopping me from doing these things. They just might not look like the world thinks that a marathon should look. Mm -hmm. So changing the perception of what my body could do physically or how I could be present for the church, um, there's some real concerns that came along with it because it, my memory was super compromised. Mm -hmm. um, serving the church, everyone expects you to remember everything about anything they've ever told you. 
And that was not working very well for me. And it mm -hmm. still is a challenge that I have to this day. Um, and it would devastate me when I would mess that up for a church member. And, and sometimes I would let that just really like cling on to my whole being, but it's really important, especially in these times of pandemic, like when there are a lot of expectations, you should be in person, you shouldn't be in person, you should be doing this. Why aren't you meeting these needs? What about this? Okay. To feel like you've got to do all of this. So it's really important in the middle of this to have grace for yourself and to realize um, people are reaching out and they want and they need these things from you, but not only challenging yourself to have grace for yourself, but then encouraging and equipping the parishioners to then how can you meet this need as well in this time and space. So finding that um, in the middle of limitations, because there just are, there are in life, period. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But right now it feels really dynamic, yeah. the limitations that are out there. And we can be really pissed off about them and <laughs> we can be really sad about them. Mm -hmm. And it's important to acknowledge that. But then, and the next thing is now stop and look around and what's going well, what's working within this context. You know, one of the things that um, I do at Chapel Hill is the community garden. And um, in a typical year, as a pastor on family leave with three active kids, I'm trying my hardest to find time to get to the community garden. In the midst of a pandemic, it was life-giving and it was awesome. And it was just this experience of theology every day I went out there. And so I think there's, there's a challenge there, not only having grace, not only addressing the limitations with all the emotions that we're having and then saying, now what? It's, um, it's looking around and seeing what is here, what's been here all along that I have not had time to notice what has been here going well that I just have been taking for granted and how can I share that with my parishioners or how can I share that with my fellow clergy or my family in a way that could be full of life, full of hope, full of something to move us forward and, and to celebrate. Yeah. I don't know. I that's probably good. followed like 12 squirrels in that. No, that's good. You put a lot, you put, a, I mean, <laughs> it shows that there's, you've got, you've really examined this from a personal view, a theological. It's, it's great to, to hear, hear you kind of process some of those things. I, just quickly, um, before we, we go to Dennis, I want to ask you, do you have any ideas on why you think it, why it's so hard for us to talk about, um, health? Why, why is this a challenge for us? I feel like, health is wrapped up again in that concept of like mm -hmm. a failure and success. Yeah. And I think taking the idea of, um, I think so much is wrapped up in our bodies. We have a lot of feelings about our bodies. Yeah. I don't think that anyone would be lost for words to start describing yourself. Mm -hmm. My challenge to you then would be how much of it when you're writing, are you seeing um, the blessing how much are you writing down things in, in ways that you honor the body? Yeah. The first thing in, in having um, a willingness and a, I guess a, um, well, 
let's just go with willingness, a willingness to talk about health and wholeness in our bodies is because it is wrapped into our bodies. Mm -hmm. So I want to read this one little thing to you um, by. I want to follow up on that. Okay. Yeah. Cause I want to get back to it, but this is like a real, I mean, I know I'm a real person, but this is like <laughs> so I want to read this to you um, by James Nelson. What then is body theology? It's nothing more, nothing less than our attempts to reflect on the body experience as revelatory of God. How can we understand both the givenness of our body realities and the meanings that we ascribe to them? How can we interpret these ways that nurture the greater wholeness of our lives in relation to God and each other and the earth. And so if we are starting out in anything in relation to our body with something that is shameful or negative or even hateful, many times people just hate their bodies for whatever reason, if it's illness or you feel like you're not meeting the society standards, having the positive relationship with the body, being able to enter into a thought process that is positive about our bodies is the first thing to get us then to be able to go um, deeper and um, I think more honest and vulnerable with our bodies. Yeah, that's good. And I would say that the least, um, again, I'll go back to this book, Honoring the Body. It tro- truly, truly opened this whole thing up for me because I had super huge amounts of hate for my body and shame and just, it just wasn't right. Right. Mm -hmm. But until we start like honoring the body and seeing the givenness of it, um, Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's easy to have that conversation because I think we keep checking it out um, or chalking it up to it's a checklist. I'm a task. And if I didn't complete the task, then I must not be good. And if I'm not good, then the body must not be good. And this body's not good, but that body's good. And so there's a comparison there that makes it really um, difficult to to have that conversation of blessing, Mm -hmm. you know, for a willingness to say, it's not about that I'm bad. It's about, this is my body. It's been given to me. Now, what do I want to do? This is my body, a gift from God. It's not here to be perfected. It's here to live out a ministry and a calling. How can I do that best? What am I being called to in a way that honors my body today so that I can then do X, Y, and Z? And so it's the, all the language around it is what makes it hard to talk about our bodies. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. And Cindy, I'll let you say your thing. And I know we got to get to Dennis, but I I just wanted to say some of that too (laughs) has to do with, um, the isms in the world. We don't like to talk about bodies because for so long, Christianity separated out spirit and body and for women particularly and I'm hoping Dennis will hop on this a little bit because I think it's different for men but for women particularly our bodies what we wear I wear a robe on Sunday morning because we were not having a discussion with people on television about what I'm wearing or how I looked in my blue jeans the way we had with my former the former senior pastor who happened to be male but um, (laughs) but the whole thing about skirts too short, too long, the suits, and and even things around if you happen to be a woman that's a mother in pregnancy, how you look when you're pregnant. When I was pregnant in, you know, that was back in the dark ages when there weren't that many women in ministry. And I had some folks that were real uncomfortable with a pregnant woman up front because what did that mean? Yeah, It's yeah. so much nicer if women and, and clergy get their babies other ways. 
I heard that in seminary from a friend of mine. I'm so glad you adopted a friend of mine that was female because it's nicer for clergy to get their babies this way. <laughs> so all that kind of stuff, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, and what I hear, what I hear both of you kind of talking about is the renewing of our minds. And this is the hope that we have in Christ um, that when we can begin to address um, either those deeply held um, issues in our world or the deeply held beliefs about ourselves, um, we can we can uncover yeah. that. And a weakness. I don't care if you're male or female. Being yeah. weak is seen as a problem. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Thank you so much. We would like to introduce our third guest, Reverend Dennis Livingston, recently retired from eight years as the Hutchinson Hayes District Superintendent. Prior to that, he served a variety of appointments across the former Kansas West Conference. Dennis and his wife, Teresa, have been married 41 years, and they have a son who is a teacher in Manhattan. Dennis continues a years-long passion for reading and cycling. And he recently added hiking to his to-do list of regular things that help him. He deeply values the silence and solitude of retirement. Dennis, we thank you for your willingness to be with us today. Indeed, you are recently retired as of June, and we congratulate you. We did not get to properly celebrate you and all the other retirees at this annual conference this year. And so we want to just take a moment and thank you for your your amazing ministry, and we are in deep gratitude to you. How do you connect physical health with discipleship, and how do, did healthy practices sustain you when you were in appointed ministry? Well, thank you for <clears throat> having me on today. Um, connecting discipleship with health. Um, one way I've looked at it is that um, well, I'll start with my mother, who uh, from the day she gave me my first quarter a week allowance, um, decided for me that two and a half cents of that quarter were going into the offering plate. I was never sure how we got that half a cent out, but she squeezed it out some way, I'm sure. And so um, tithing has been, uh, you know, part of my life ever since. And um, that's a part of discipleship, as far as I'm concerned. So um, if, if I am supposed to give off the top the best part of my allowance, um, somewhere it occurred to me that I should be giving the best off the top of my own body, which I, I have been given. I didn't work for it. I didn't earn it. I didn't do anything like that. But I was, it was a gift given to me as an allowance. And so um, I need to give it, my body, the best I can give it in order that it can give the best back in one respect to my calling. And, um, and, and one of the ways I make the most of that gift is to train it. And um, the, even the Apostle Paul said, um, you know, this, my life of discipleship has been a race and um, I think Lisa already mentioned a, a race or a marathon. And um, if, you, if you want to run a race and finish, in my experience anyway, which all that I'm saying is primarily my experience, um, you have to train. And, um, and so um, discipleship and health 
um, come together in training and um, expending energy and, and working uh, to keep my body and my health uh, in shape. Uh, it's also um, my discipleship to my family. And um, years ago, uh, whether right or wrong, my uncle, or whether this helps anybody or not, I remember my uncle saying, if, you, if you're 20 years old and it's your, you are at your um, um, perfect weight at 20 years old, and you gain a pound a year at age 60, you'll be 40 pounds over your ideal weight. And, and so um, that's a, and I'm, I've been able to stick pretty much to that weight, but that's a long-term view. Mm -hmm. In one sense, discipleship is a long-term view. And I know that uh, now I'm living with Teresa and um, my, uh, from what I have seen and experienced, one of the best gifts I can ever give to her is to maintain good health so that she does not have to spend her time taking care of me. Mm. And um, throughout my 29 years of ministry, um, Teresa would say, it, if she were sitting beside me, she would say it because I have, uh, uh, I've heard her say it before. Uh, during those 29 years, I got the leftovers of you because the first part went to the church mm -hmm. and I got what was left and that was not always um, that desirable. And so um, in my long-term view, the, the best thing I can do is give her now uh, the best parts of me and for as long as possible. Anything can happen, of course, I could have a stroke when we're done today, mm -hmm. um, but uh, I'm, I'm, I, I will try to maintain health at such a fitness level um, that all things considered, um, she will not be spending her time um, feeding me uh, in bed or something like that, uh, if at all possible. What does sustain me? Um, how's How's health sustained me? Well, you've already heard uh, cycling before. Uh, Cindy and I have cycled together on more than one occasion. And um, uh, cycling, uh, bicycle, uh, riding a bicycle uh, has given me space. It um, gets me away from any stress that I'm feeling at work. And um, the good thing about it is the harder I ride, the more space I get. Um, it gives me space. It gives me physical exhaustion, which um, just in my experience, physical exhaustion may be one of the best things a human being can do uh, or, or achieve um, that, that um, helps with stress and being overwhelmed. Um, it, it so happened when I moved to Hutchinson, Hutchinson eight years ago, I started, I'd been riding bicycle for quite some time. Um, usually longer, uh, slower um, rides. When I moved to Hutchinson, I started riding with a racing team. And all of a sudden, um, I discovered uh, how slow of a cyclist I was. And, and so um, uh, training with that team and gradually acquiring uh, strength and speed to keep up with them and ride with them uh, often left me physically exhausted. It was painful. Um, it, it, I mean, it, it just hurt, but uh, I never slept better regardless of what was going on in the district. I was still slept. Um, uh, it it uh, gave me uh, something that I finished 
And often in the church, things just drag on and drag on and drag on. You never, you, you feel like I've, I haven't been, I've been here. I've served this church six years and I don't know that I ever finished anything. Uh, just that's the nature, seemed to me to, in my experience, to be the nature. And when I go out and, uh, you know, the, our team used to ride 40 miles a night every Tuesday and Thursday. Um, and it was really hard. Um, but when I finished that and when I finished with the group, I actually finished something. And, uh, you know, there, there's nothing um, in my experience that feels much better than that. It also and this uh, may sound funny, but um, it um, uh, riding really hard and coming home physically exhausted um, gave me what I call an oxygen deprived brain. And uh, Teresa came to recognize that uh, if we need to go someplace after you ride, uh, until you eat, you're not going to drive. Um, <laughs> and, and it was like enforced meditation because I was just, I, I could be just <coughs> gone mm -hmm. for a couple of hours. And um, again, I'm, I'm just, I guess I'm speaking to, in my experience, the value of being physically exhausted uh, that may have been as much of what sustained me in my ds years as anything else um i another thing that sustained me was i learned how the body adapts to stress and just being on the cycle i, I as i already mentioned when i first started writing with the team um, one of the one of the saddest things for a rider is to get what is called dropped. That means the group just rides off and leaves you. They just drop you and you're just hanging off back there. And all you see is rear ends getting farther and farther and farther away. And uh, if there's anything a cyclist doesn't want to do is get dropped, although all of us do. And uh, for the first, you know, quite a long time, um, I would get dropped, uh, but as I kept trying and kept riding, I didn't know why I was doing this. Why do I experience this pain? Why do I try to keep up with these guys? I noticed that I rode further before I got dropped. And, um, and by the end of the summer, which is usually the riding season, a hard riding season, um, I would be riding with those guys. <laughs> mm -hmm. I might even take off and they had to work to catch up with me. And, and I, as my body is adapting to this. I can't believe it. I can't believe that the body will do this. And so um, that sustained me um, in, in my appointive life too, is that, look, um, just because they take off and leave you, you keep at it, you, you keep working, you, you keep at it, you will adapt. And you will catch up every time I move to a new appointment. I was pretty certain that I am not prepared for this. I will not be able to keep up. It is too big for me. And yet move into that position. And um, it, within a couple of weeks, you're already lost in the details. And those, those concerns about not keeping up um, are completely gone. And I'm adapting to this new situation. So um, learning that my body adapts and, uh, and we'll catch up. Um, Cycling uh, gave me goals outside the church system. And we may talk about uh, burnout and stress a little later, but um, it was my, in my experience, it took me a long time to learn this, but I have to have something to do outside 
Absolutely. Um, you, the, the, your worldview, my worldview, gets so small and focused that this is all that's going on in the world. No, it isn't. Um, there, there are people just down the street who have not the slightest concern of what's going on in this church. They have a whole different life. They don't know what you're struggling with. Don't care. There's, there's something out there. So, so cycling gave me goals um, uh, and, and riding with a group um, <laughs> who, um, who didn't care about what I did all day. Um, it, that was just, uh, it, it took me outside, mm-hmm. outside of myself. Um, there's also, I'll, I'll stop with this one, uh, I think. Um, there was also something that I learned that sustained me. And, and when I started having to try to, to train really hard, um, is I, I began to notice that my brain has a switch in it that's really conservative. And its purpose is to keep me from hurting. And so I'm doing my best, uh, just to continue the example, to keep up with this group. And uh, my brain will tell me, "Uh uh-oh, you're tired, you gotta stop, you know, back off. And over time, I I felt that switch click to shut me down and, I noticed, wait a second, I'm not even breathing hard. I'm breathing fast, but I don't need to do that. And my legs aren't even tired, but my brain is telling me to stop. And and I've got so much more I can give if I can just overwhelm the switch in my brain. And the switch tried to make me think that my situation was much worse than it is. It's too overwhelming, so you have to stop. And, and in my um, work in the church leadership and administration, whatever it was, my brain would do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, my brain tells me that this is overwhelming and you need to run, uh, run away, flee. And I started thinking about it, uh, over, over, and this didn't happen overnight, but uh, I decided, uh, no, it isn't. It's, it's not that bad. It's not as big as your brain's trying to make it. Just calm down, control your breathing, and keep moving forward. And um, uh, it, the, the, the brain just plays all kinds of tricks with me. And uh, I've had to try to learn um, to pay attention to it, but not let it rule me um there's a there was something that would happen to me over the course of a writing season where at the beginning when that brain switch was working the bike rode me it told me when to slow down it told me uh okay now we're going downhill now you can speed up oh you've got a tailwind now you can speed up Uh uh-oh you're going uphill you better stop and rest and over the course of the season, as the training picked up and, and, the, and I was better able to control what my brain was telling me, I went from the bike riding me to me riding the bike. And I'm the one saying, okay, we're going to speed up now. I don't care if we're going uphill. We're going to gain speed up the hill instead of slowing down up the hill. And, and that is um, mm-hmm. a great feeling. And a lot of that has to do, for me, uh, with controlling that switch. And, and I think that applied also to my 
um, leadership uh, and uh, the responsibilities that I had in appointments um, where um, is the church writing me or am I writing the church or, uh, and of course there's a balance there, but um, you know, I think pastors feel like uh, occasionally that the church controls everything I do. Um, no, let's not go that direction. Let's, um, let's work on that. So um, that controlling that automatic stop switch and, um, and uh, uh, trying to get control of um, who I am and what I'm doing and who's really in charge here. Uh, and I'm not saying overdo your authority in the church, nothing like that, but uh, in order to maintain sanity and, um, and forward movement, um, riding the bike and overcoming that stop switch uh, certainly made a difference. Um, uh, one last brief point. Um, uh, there was a mantra uh, between a couple of us on our team. Um, uh, and, and the mantra was, uh, breathing is overrated. Um, there's a time to breathe, but it's not right now. Um, and uh, for example, in a race, um, uh, there were many, plenty of times when um, I, was, I thought I, was, I couldn't breathe anymore because we were going so hard. Um, and so the mantra would kick in, no breathing's overrated. Um, you'll have time to breathe once you cross the finish line, but, but you don't have to now. Well, that's a little overstated, of course. But, um, and, and so in that also affected uh, particularly my DS work, um, that there, there are times when the stress is going to be um, intense and the work will be intense. And there's so much to do in such a short amount of time. Um, and all I want to do is lie down and rest. Um, and, and so um, training and in, in one sense, racing um, and that mantra, it, breathing is overrated. Yes, I need to take care of myself. And yes, I, I will do that. But right now is not the time. I will get to that point. And when I do, I'm going to take really um, take it slowly and I'm going to rest. But right now I've got to do what I need to do. So um, all of that worked together for me and I talked way too long, but um, uh, those are some of the things that have sustained me and, and connected with my uh, health and uh, what I've tried to do to maintain it. I also wanted to say something about um, to follow up why um, we're so um, reluctant to talk about our health or, um, and, and uh, Cindy asked for a male's point of view. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I, don't, I, I know that I do not have to deal, I never had to deal with the things that women have to deal with as far as dress and body image and all that sort of thing. Um, one of my reluctances is um, because of my interaction with those, interactions with those who are not reluctant to talk about their health. And when I see them coming, I want to run because I know I'm going to hear the same health history that I have heard 20 times already and uh, an early on decision that I will never talk to anybody about my health because um, I have a feeling they don't want to hear about it. Um, so that's, that's one reason for me that it's difficult to talk about my health. And, and the second thing is, um, 
you know, uh, one of the things that got me really started, and I can talk about this now because I'm not in the local church and I'm not um, appointed. Um, so it's, it's, it's okay. Um, but uh, probably 18 years ago or so, the doctor told me, Dennis, you're diabetic. And uh, that was something I did not want to hear. So within a couple of months, uh, not very long, maybe longer than that, I lost 40 pounds and uh, started intensive um, exercise program. And uh, I thought, well, um, maybe I can get rid of this. Um, come to find out, no, this is genetic. It has not much to do with weight at all. It's a, you know, my pancreas is just uh, eking out its last uh, uh, supply of insulin. And so, but um, all that I've done uh, in trying to keep myself healthy has certainly assisted in uh, the control of uh, what needs to be controlled. And one of the reasons I would not want to talk about that with anybody in the local church or anywhere else is I do not want to be seen as a special case. Uh, I don't want to be taken care of by the little old ladies in the church. I don't want, um, you know, there were, there were occasions in a sermon when just off the cuff, I said something about apple pie and the next uh, church meal we had, uh, there were apple pies everywhere. I think all I, I was just using that in a, that was just an offhanded remark. And now everyone thinks I like apple pie. And what am I supposed to do? Sample 20 apple pie? How, I, uh, and so um, I, I, I don't want to be taken care of. I'm taking care of that on my own. I don't want people talking about me. I don't need people to say, oh, you shouldn't be eating that. Or, um, oh, Dennis, over here, we have a sugar-free apple pie. No, I, you, I, I, don't, I just don't want any of that. So um, uh, that's one reason uh, I would not talk about health matters. Uh, and I'll stop there. So what we'd like to ask you all is if, if Dennis, if you could take us down that road, you talked a little bit about stress and burnout, and we'll open this up to all three of you, um, whoever would like to begin. Um, Dennis, if you have some, some thoughts on that, maybe we could even uh, begin there. But what have you seen? What have you noticed? How does all this tie together in, in addressing stress and burnout in ministry? Um. In my experience, uh, when I see, and I didn't see this a lot, I, did, I didn't see this maybe as much as you might think, but um, in the two or three cases where I did see burnout, um, it's almost as if it's al already too late. That um, health, it, um, don't wait till you're burnt out to start taking care of your health would be my first piece of advice. Just start doing it while you feel like the world is yours and, and nothing could go wrong. Um, just start um, taking care of your health as uh, right now. Um, if, uh, if you can do a little more, do a little more. Um, and again, as I mentioned, I think some, there are lots of reasons for burnout maybe, but um, one reason is my world gets so small. It's only the now the carpet at the church, or it's the carping between this one and that one. Uh, uh, and I haven't had to deal with this very much, but uh, pastors now I don't know how they deal with politics in the church. 
that would be enough to send me over the edge, just that one major issue. Uh, so um, starting to take care of yourself, um, you, you got to get away. And um, I think everything I've said um, to this point, um, you know, leads up to uh, taking care of yourself and trying to avoid uh, overstress and burnout. But um, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I think taking your dang day off, I, you know, and it's supposed to be two and I, it's harder in a time of pandemic, mostly. And it, it's easier as a senior pastor. I'll just be honest. When I was at Lions and, you know, I was the big church, the Lions First United Methodist Church, and you couldn't go to the grocery store or go to the kids ball game. You know, it, it's different there than when I was at West Heights. Or, you know, I mean, people just stop by your house in a small town. Well, they don't do that in a city mm -hmm. and at First Church because you have staff and that really does alleviate some of that. And, and it helps. But, but I found again and again, if I didn't set the boundaries and right now I'm discovering that even though Friday is my day off because everybody or most of the program staff's working from home, it means our administrative staff are at church and they're sending emails right and left. Right. And on Fridays, I need this approved. I need that. And so that boundary gets moved because we don't have the physical time in, in the building. And I, I think for me, it starts with that. And second, I don't know about you, Dennis, but the pastors I see that burn out more often than not have no hobbies. Mm -hmm. They don't ride. They don't walk. They don't play golf. They don't cook. They don't, you know, woodwork. They don't, I don't care what it is, but they got nothing other than their identity as a pastor. And, you know, when I went through my divorce a long time ago, I decided I wasn't going to be the temple prostitute anymore. And I was going to have a life outside the church and the church wasn't going to own me. And I think that happens so easily because we come, they were so afraid and so anxious because, well, if I don't have that, what am I going to do? How will I make a living? How will I put food on? And I think that anxiety um, drives us a lot because our skill sets are so general. It's hard to it's hard to understand that. Well, yeah, it might not be a church job, and it might not be as easy, but there are other ways to earn a living. And I think that anxiety drives us as clergy a lot. Mm -hmm. I just think it does. So that's why I think having hobbies, whatever they are, and it may be physical health, but for me, it, cooking is part of my hobby. Yeah, I uh, for years I was a uh... Uh, spent my time in the darkroom. I was a darkroom printer. And so um, my days off, I might start at seven o'clock and go to eight o'clock at night. And and uh, I mean, I'm an introvert anyway. So um, spending a full day in the dark, uh, coming out with a result that um, and, and, and working on that until I kind of perfected what I wanted it to look like. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was as far away from my appointment town uh, as I could get. Uh, if I got in the car and drove for two weeks, I was that far away. Yeah, yeah. And uh, makes sense to Lisa, me. Lisa, we want to hear from you, Lisa. Go for it. Well, I think it, it just kind of reinforces what we're hearing. But, um, you know, I never... I, when I served the church, I was always the only pastor. And if I had a staff, it was like one person. <laughs> so um, it, it was it was really important for me to find those things that I got really excited and passionate about. Mm -hmm. And 
if it worked to incorporate it into ministry, that was great. But if it did not, then it did not. But it, it's you. It's taking um, some of the time that you have, and it is going to be separate and apart from the church, where you can just really have that excitement and that passion. I mean, that honestly, I I was a little bit confused when I started in ministry at a two point charge as the only person coming out of hospital chaplaincy. Mm -hmm. And I will say that that is probably one of the biggest motivators that I had in starting a doctorate of ministry was that I was in a small town and I did not really know how to do that yet. I hadn't figured it out and, but I did know school. (laughs) And, um, so I figured out a way to keep my, um, my interests going and my passion going. And, and then it eventually all connected. Um, so I, I think if there's a way, especially when you're limited on energy and all of that, to find that really exciting passion where it also connects and relates to, to the ministry that you're doing, I think that that's a bonus. We wonder if there is something that you are currently doing right now that is a healthy practice that might be a word of encouragement to us as we are gathering here today. Um, I'll, I'll, what I'm current practice is I still ride uh, anywhere from one to three hours, um, although it's getting cold here, so I, I may be doing that less, but I um, have taken up hiking, so I may hike for one to three hours, uh, always at least one hour, um, uh, all the way up to three hours. Those two things, uh, encouraging words. Um, if I could uh, say anything to anybody about physical health, uh, always take the stairs. Um, mm-hmm. um, Always park as far away from your workplace as possible uh, and and then regularly push yourself uh, into the breathless zone. That's if your doctor allows it and all that sort of thing. But if you if you're not very often out of breath, um, try to be more often. And and nature, if you can be in nature outside as much as you can be. Mm -hmm. I agree. I would say for me, and I mentioned this already about the church garden, um, but even in our own space that we live in, just taking that time to go outside um, and not with a, with an intent of monotony, like I've got to take out the dead plants or things like that, but just an awareness and intentionality of looking around and seeing what is there. Um, and, and I did a lot of that in the spring of the shutdown and just watching things slowly coming back to life. And as you know, as pastors with that deep theology, it's it can be so life giving not only physically because you're out there in it, but also for your mind and your spirit, just to mm-hmm. see that and make that connection, and to be able to share that with your parishioners because some people are just not getting out there, and so even just to inspire that, giving that um, that visual whether they can see it or you're talking about it can be really life giving for people too, and an inspiration that oh, just because I can't come to the church, I can go outside. I can still experience God in this way. And I have this note from my pastor to remember. And just that just because we might not physically be in this space, um, opening up the many ways that people can still encounter God. I think that that would be um, the practice that I've been most intentional about is connecting our church with 
the outdoors and the garden and just the life giving, um, foundation of that, as well as how God just continues to show up and reveal, um, to the world who God is. So. Well, being stuck on my second floor, uh, <laughs> I would love to be outside and will be after the end of this week again. We have 800 square feet of deck that Andrew built on the back of our historic home. I actually been officing on my front glassed in port so I can look at, I mean, I think the outdoor stuff is, it, it puts us in touch, you know, feet on the earth. Now, when you're cycling in a, but you're in it, or when you're hiking, it's feet on the ground and reminds us, you know, that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Andrew and I have a huge garden. I already have stuff planted to harvest all winter long, um, getting in the dirt. And, and, and again, it's a, it's a holistic thing, breathing fresh air instead of recycled air. <coughs> I, I just think that uh, is really important. And for me, because there's so much I, I, I won't be able to do for another few weeks, you know, I'm doing yoga, sitting on a chair, feeling like an old woman, but I'm doing the yoga I can on the chair. And I have a body prayer that I do usually standing. I'm doing it sitting. Uh, it's, and it's one right out of the book of worship. New every morning is your love, O God of light. You know, and all day long. And I have a body prayer that Susan Davis created that I've been using. Um, and it's just, uh, it, it centers me. It reminds me that God's the God of creation, uh, that God loves us, um, that God is incarnate in Jesus, and that uh, being, you know, trying to connect with that in whatever level, I just think is really um, important for me and my physical, mental, and spiritual health. Oh, this has been such a rich conversation. I've loved the foundation of the, the rootedness of where we are in our theology. Our bodies are important um, and they are not, nothing to be ashamed of and nothing for us to reject. Um, and we actually can, can be, be invited further into the Christian life by accepting and, and receiving that. I love the learning to override um, our lying brain um, and pushing in a little bit deeper into that to, to be calm and to control our breathing and, and just connecting this with the signals around us and within us, they're telling us something and whether we like it or not, we, uh, we need to listen. So thank you to the three of you and, and to others who are joining us here today. We just so appreciate all of this. Um, we want to let you know, let you all know that there's going to be some practical resources on our episode page. And so some of the things they've mentioned, we're going to, we're going to upload there. We also do have grants available for clergy, active appointed clergy um, to, to either to, to engage in, in some healthy practices. We've, we've got some grants available. So we'll link up to that as well. We, we just really hope that, that people remember that they're not alone in this in this season of your lives. Um, well, we are closing in on the end of our year. And, uh, and as we look ahead to our next conversation, it's gonna be a conversation that we're gonna share with you all um, through, through a po our podcast form. We wanna hear from some of our leaders of our conference on some things that they're seeing as we come to the end of, of the year 2020. And we're calling the conversation Hindsight 2020. <laughs> The conversation will be pre-recorded, but we'll be sharing it uh, through, throughout December. We are really grateful for this little community 
uh, that's formed every other week and hope that you'll listen in to, to our Hindsight 2020 conversation with Bishop Signs and all four of our directors and with the Dean of the Cabinet. You'll be able to find that conversation and more resources at greatplainsumc.org slash at dash the dash threshold. We thank you, each of our presenters, for what you have offered us today. And we thank you for each of you who have gathered in this conversation. We hope that you have been able to see our reality a little bit better, ask some questions, and been encouraged along your journey. We hope that you're able to find some light at the threshold. conversation today about navigating ministry in liminal time. You can find links to join future conversations at greatplainsumc.org slash at dash the dash threshold or subscribe to our podcast at the threshold on Podbean or Apple Podcasts. As for today, we hope that you've been able to see our new reality a bit clearer, asked a few new questions, and been encouraged. And in the days ahead, we hope that you're finding some light at the threshold.